Matariki te tipua, matariki te tawhito, taumai te wairua, maenga ira atua ki te ira tangata tihei Māori ora. Welcome to the Hui Māori Current Affairs for all New Zealanders. E taroa kenei. More and more rangatahi are taking up vaping. What the bloody hell are you doing? Get, no, can you not? And it's causing friction at home and at school. I don't think they see the harm that it could be causing. I'm really worried about it. We speak to parents and kayako struggling to get rangatahi to put down their vapes. And we check out kurakai. Gee, that's heavy. <laughs> the kaupapa feeding kids and their whanau. Knowing that they've got a meal they can grab that actually is going to get them through the day. If it's one less thing that their whanau needs to worry about what's going to help, then that makes us happy. Vaping is being heralded as a game changer in helping wean cigarette smokers off tobacco. While it's illegal to sell vaping products to under 18s, a growing number of parents in schools are becoming increasingly concerned about the use amongst rangatahi. They say their kids have become addicted to the range of fruity flavours, which they believe is deliberately being targeted at the youth market. It's leading to stand-downs at school and stand-offs at home. D'Angelo Martin met with one mum battling to get her kids off the vapes. What the bloody hell are you doing? It's a scene many whānau can relate to. Kids addicted to vaping and driving their parents mad. You said we could vape outside. No, 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 no. I said don't do that shit in front of me. And with vaping exploding amongst rangatahi in Aotearoa, it's clear this addictive habit is tearing households apart, including the Johnston whānau. Paula Johnston is in charge of a tribe of kids, five of her own, and the rest who often live with her. Paula admits she has no idea how to stop her kids vaping, a habit she initially thought was harmless. I was kind of okay with it because it wasn't cigarettes, it wasn't drugs. They kind of enjoyed it, but then it just got more and more. Paula's daughters, Ocean and Nirvana, what started me off was because my friends were vaping and I had a turn and I liked the cloud that came out of my mouth, so I just carried on vaping. I had to turn on one of my friend's ones and I just liked the buzz it give, gave me. Would you both agree that you guys are slowly starting to get addicted to vaping? Yeah, I can agree. Yeah, I can agree too. Vaping has been sold to the public as far safer than cigarettes with less toxic additives. However, Mum Paula worries about the long-term health effects and believes companies have deliberately targeted rangatahi. I believe it's made for kids. These are like 8,000 different flavours, I think, 400 different devices of vapes. So it's bubblegum, it's designed to attract our kids, because no, 50-year-old wants to go smoke a bubblegum smoke thing, you know. It's got to be designed to target that younger audience. As her daughter drags on empty vapes looking for a last puff, Paula says it's sad to see what vaping has done to her kids. 
there was real big tata signs of addiction quite early on. But by then I had allowed it and then I felt guilty. Mm. When I said no, they were like, but you let us. And then it was like, on oh, me. What type of behaviour changes have you seen when it comes to them getting their fix? The moods, from when they got none, the angry moods, um, they're shitty, to when they got one, they're so happy and, you know, not a care in the world. The kids pay for their vapes by any means possible. One has a job, another does chores. Do you have any money? What for? A bull. Oh, <laughs> joke. You know I don't supply that rubbish. What makes this all the more upsetting for Mum Paula is the toll that vaping is taking on her kids' health and fitness. Son Tekiwako Hatu says he's definitely seen a decline in his fitness on the basketball court. That was what, five minutes on the court? How are you feeling? But tired, you know, I can get all the vaping and stuff, I can get pretty tired easily. Yeah. Just running up and down the court, it's pretty tiring. And all your uh, teammates, do they vape? Yeah, most of my teammates do vape, most of my fan group, we like all do it. Why does it look smoky in that room from here? There's no doubt vaping is causing serious conflict in this whare, with the kids continuously disobeying the no vaping inside rule. I'm really concerned. The disrespect that I've seen from my kids, which um, they were never that disrespectful, but it's the behaviour outside of the home as well. It's in the school. And what type of behaviour are we talking? Not listening, disrespectful, not obeying um, the rules, no vaping at school, they vape at school. I get called in, um, they get stood down. And that brings us to what's become a growing issue for schools, the number of kids being suspended from school for vaping. Here at Whanganui City College, it's an ongoing battle for Deputy Principal Valerie Rudekirk. So on any given day, how much people are expected to be reported for vaping here at school? Well, I think it varies. Some days it's none, and then other days we might have four or five each day, and there'll be different kids. Is that a concerning factor for you here? It's huge, because I don't think they see the harm that it could be causing. I'm really worried about it. They can't run for 10 minutes anymore like they used to. Um, they're tired. We've had quite a high absenteeism rate, and I'm wondering if that's because they're sick and they might have a cold, but is that worse because they've got all this stuff and then I'm just, I don't know, because we don't know any of that stuff yet. The Ministry of Education doesn't hold figures on the number of vaping suspensions, but says vaping in schools is a serious concern. Principal Peter Koa agrees it's an epidemic. You get caught smoking, it's an instant stand down, and you come in with, to a hui with your parents. And do you believe that's working? Well, the instances of more and more kids vaping tells me it doesn't work. So we've got to look for something else that works. Um, once again, it's putting a hell of a lot of load on my staff because they've got to police that. And what's the feedback that you've been getting from your staff regarding vaping at school? I get the rolled eyes. I get, oh, here we go again. You know, all these kids are vaping. I've got to fill out the form. I caught this kid vaping in my classroom, out in the field, da-da-da. So it's just all this mahi that we don't really need, extra mahi for, for the staff to do. Yeah, yeah it's just hoha. It's another bloody tanifa that has raised its head. 
So there's frustration all round. The school's constantly having to stand down kids and parents like Paula on the receiving end. I understand the school's frustrations, but I believe we've got to find another way. You know, getting stood down three days, they're going to go out and carry on vaping. They're not learning anything. They're actually missing out on learning. While there's scientific debate on what the long-term effects of vaping are, there's no doubt it can cause serious damage to a person's lungs. But that's not enough to stop the Johnston kids. No, because once we start, we kind of can't stop now. And because it's kind of early stage, I feel like, where it's like not really time to stop. Much to the horror of a single mum just trying to keep her kids on the right path. They just don't seem to care about the consequences that's coming with it. And now talking to them about addiction, you can't stop because you, you're addicted, you know, because you can't, you just can't stop it. And I can't actually see them wanting to stop. They've said, I've heard it a couple of times, oh, we'll stop, but then they start again. It seems the epidemic of vaping amongst Aotearoa's rangatahi is here to stay. Another fire the health system will have to fight in the future. Na D'Angelo Martin Terari Puata. We asked British American Tobacco New Zealand to appear tonight to discuss vaping amongst rangatahi, but it declined. But in a written statement, it said vaping products have been strictly R18 since the update to the Smoke Free Environments and Regulated Products Act in 2020. In recent government consultations on both the legislation and the vaping regulations, we strongly submitted that stringent age verification be made mandatory across all online uh, retailers of vaping products as an additional barrier to youth access. We've implemented this robust online age verification at check checkout on our own e-commerce platform and encourage all retailers to implement the strongest youth access prevention measures available. BatNZ also supports the stronger enforcement of penalties for those caught selling and supplying vaping products to minors. And from August, vape flavours will be limited to just mint, menthol and tobacco in places such as dairies, but will still be available in specialist vape stores. Tamariki are back in the headlines after footage obtained by Newsroom showed staff using excessive force against two children at a care and protection residence. Oranga Tamariki have announced the closure of the Christchurch-based facility, but critics say it doesn't go far enough. To discuss, I'm joined now by two former wards of the state turned advocates, Paolo Crawford-Moyle and Tupua Ulrich. Tēnā kōrua. Hey, so as a voice, uh, for voice, which represents uh, rangatahi and tamariki in, in oranga tamariki, including these facilities, what do you know about them? These places, these care and protection residences have no place in Aotearoa. Um, they're prison-like, they're far from therapeutic, um, and I mean as we saw on camera this week, uh, last mm. week, abuse is taking place. But this is not a one-off incident, that's really what I need to emphasise here, is this is not a one-off, this is just the first time it's been caught on camera. And as, as somebody who voices for, for young people, have you made this aware to the powers that be? 
Um, well, this is, I mean, voice whakarongomai isn't the only way of them knowing this. Um, so you have your grievance processes in these places and we're hearing these kinds of things. Um, so yeah, there are mechanisms and this has been known for a long time. Mm. The Children's Commissioner, he says all of them have got to go. He's one of many people who are saying <laughs> that. I guess what I've heard this week is where will these tamariki go? What is the right place for them to be? Well, we, we've been hearing it that they need to go into loving uh, homes, but you know, I just caution it's very easy to chuck out forever loving homes mm. or loving environment. Mm. It's, it's, it's harder to um, make that a reality. Mm. And I just, I want to make sure, we all want our children to be safe, but um, how you make that happen is just really, really important. And that's where we are right at the moment mm. with the Royal Commission into State Abuse. We're talking about environments that were meant to be safe for our children since 1950s. You both have been involved and are involved in groups and you're a claimant in there. The words that you hear coming out of that Waitangi Tribunal uh, uh, report recently directed at the Minister for Children, Calvin Davis, asking him to actually to engage with your group and people like you. Do you have hope or you know, are you optimistic that's going to happen? I have to remain optimistic because our children are at stake mm. and survivors are at stake and I wouldn't be doing what I do if I didn't have their best interests at heart mm. and it's, that's another thing that's easier to throw out. We have children's best interests at mm. heart. The, the proof is in the pudding. I think um, uh, definitely uh, that's something that I'll keep on doing. At this point, mm -hmm. I, I mean, because that Waitangi Tribunal um, was an urgent inquiry and it, and it came through and we've heard the report, we know that it's sitting with the Minister and the Minister's going to go to Cabinet. Has he sat down with your claimant group? Hasn't sat down with our claimant group. Has uh, spent a few minutes with two of us and we were grateful for that. We had to work really hard Is to get... Is that enough though? <laughs> Chit-chat's nice, but uh, we really want a partnership. We want yeah. to get to the nitty-gritty. We want our children to be well, and um, we've got that specialised lived experience. We know what goes down behind closed doors. We know how to work with it, mm. and um, we know how to talk to children in a way that uh, they know, that mm. we know that's not coming with people uh, that have no lived experience. A lot of the criticism is that people making the decisions don't have lived experience. Right. You have. Tell me why it's important that you, you get to be part of the, the solution. Yeah, I mean, well, we've heard from, you know, um, the likes of Wood Gardner and, and others in this space saying, talking about the value of the voice of lived experience, but it's only valuable as long as it's under them. I mean, with the appointment of the Ministerial Advisory Group, that it wasn't valued there. You didn't need to be care experienced. And why is that important? One, because this is our lives. This isn't our careers. This stays with us long term. We've seen its effects. We've felt it. We know the areas that need to improve. And it's all very good and well for the system to say, oh, yeah, the voice of experience is crucial. They don't have the ears. They don't know how to listen to that. They don't know how to pick up on the things that are non-verbal in the way that we do. Um, so shaping the way forward with people whose mindsets are very much trapped in the past, it just doesn't offer a whole lot of hope. We're at a really crucial point. Uh, uh, you know, this is what we're told, and 
people say the same with the, um, the Māori Health Authority, is that what happens from here and who gets to plan it will mean it's either successful or it's not. Do you feel the same about this possible transitional authority for Tamariki? I have absolutely every faith in a transitional authority working partnership with those with lived experience that have been through the mill, uh, not just putty putty around the garden. Um, I believe that it can work, but if you want to keep the status quo going, I believe that that's what's on the cards, is keep on going, keep on doing what we've always done. What are the, um, what's in the way for the transitional agency to be realised? Is it a funding thing? I think possibly it's a funding thing. I think there's a fear not wanting to uh, devolve services truly to Māori at a local patch level. You know, I believe that um, local people know what their needs are to assess the needs of their, their whānau, their, their tamariki right across the board uh, for their capacity and for um, the resourcing that they need to realise that, to make it happen, to grow strong families at a local level, not just a brown bureaucracy replacing a white one. Um, that's what I'm fearful of. So the transitional authority is really, really important, but I'm not seeing that on the table at the moment. Mm. And that's why we're asking um, Minister Calvin Davis to really put the Waitangi Tribunal uh, recommendations on the table, which means partnership working with mm. us. Tupua is um, somebody who's who's spent a lot of your years of your you know important years of your life mm. in stake here, mm. in some not so great situations. What's your message to the minister about the future of um, stake here? Right. So the I mean number one is that we are talking about children here, and. It's not just the minister who's guilty of it. Our whole country is guilty of looking at children in state care as less than children and accepting that they are treated like less. Um, number one, wake up. Take full ownership and responsibility of these young people. Um, you know, we now have a system that's, that knows it's not working. And it's, and it's willing to chat with other people but not give any power to their words. Um, so number one, it's like... I, the fact that I have to do what I do is, mm. yeah. it says everything really. Mm. Um, make that a bit easier and listen. Mm. You know, um, we aren't we aren't involved because we want to be. We're involved because we're obligated to. We have survived this stuff. So many of our whānau have not and do not make it out of the trauma that's inflicted on them by the state. So moving forward, we are not in this for ourselves. Yeah. Just before we go, have you got any idea of what kind of numbers we're talking about now? In terms of those that have been through state care, well, the latest 250,000 vulnerable people have been abused in state care since the 1950s. Tēnā kōrua. Thank you so much for your time tonight. He whakatai, hari ake nei, katahi, katoro te kaupapa e whāngai ana i ngā tauira, mi ora atai whānau. Well, the Ka Ora Ka'ako Healthy School Lunch Programme aims to feed more than 200,000 kids by the end of this year. A social media influencer is using her powers to fill the puku of both rangatahi and their whānau. 30 high schools from Te Tai Tokirau to Otautahi have been donated freezers which are regularly topped up with homemade meals for students and their families. Kei Pereira, Tēnei
Nice cake. Here's your cake, brother. There you go. Fabulous. Most mums have trouble finding the time to feed their own kids, let alone cooking for other rangatahi and their whanau. You know, you always think, how can I help? Sarah-Jane Terakia is a volunteer coordinator for Kurakai in Porirua, a charity that provides home-cooked meals to schools for students and families in need. Rangatahi were coming to school and then leaving by lunchtime, either because they're tired, because they're hungry, no fuel in the body to keep going. And so knowing that they've got a meal they can grab that actually is going to get them through the day. Today, she's dropping off more kai to top up supplies at Mana College. Gee, that's heavy. <laughs> It's such a simple idea, really, isn't it? Very simple, but so effective. And I'm just really pleased to be part of helping. Oh, cool. Kurakai fundraisers for freezers, which are then donated to schools. Yep. Volunteers cook hearty frozen meals to Afi Fano, who struggle to put food on the table. She's getting a bit full here, Sarah, Jane? Just a little bit. It's great. What makes Kurakai unique is that rangatahi can choose to eat the kai at school or take meals home for their family, feeding a community. Kurakai is the brainchild of Papamoa-based social media influencer Makaya Carr, who put the call out to his 60,000 Instagram followers during last year's Level 4 lockdown. I was definitely thinking, what could I do with my platform and this role to actually start making a difference in the community, start making some real um, impact out there that's actually going to help people, help whānau, help rangatahi. In one year, Makaya has managed to attract 200 volunteers, providing meals to 30 schools around Aotearoa. For many of our rangatahi, high school education is going to potentially be their last free education that they may ever receive in their life. So if, if getting free kai to take home or nice kai to take home to their whānau so they can stay in school and finish their education, if it's one less thing that their whānau needs to worry about what's going to help, then that makes us happy. Makaya knows the struggle of not having enough. Growing up, there was a time when her mother was reliant on a work and income food grant to feed her whānau. This is something that's really close to your heart. We learned very quickly around budgeting, making food go a long way. I was a young teen mum. Got my school C, left at the beginning of sixth form to go and work. So all these things which I'm trying to kind of address now with Kurakai are things that definitely kind of have always been in me as uh, quite a fuckamaa thing, like quite a stigma and quite something I've carried and put a lot of judgment on myself about. As an adult now and having my own family and my own children, it makes me reflect so much on my mum and what she went through and how hard stuff was for her back then. I just really feel quite proud that my mahi now is helping to address some of those, those things. Schools say the heat and eat meals are helping to reduce truancy rates and keep rangatahi in the classroom. Hey, Makai. I'll give you a hand, eh? OK, sounds good. Research is pretty clear that kids who are coming to school hungry, it's really difficult for them to actually even concentrate on learning, let alone be at school. Yeah. Oh, 
it's empty. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so we've had lots of positive feedback. Yeah. Both from uh, students and from their whānau. There's no whakamara attached to it, you know. We make sure that uh, the kids feel comfortable with the fact that they, you know, they just need a little bit of support. And since the COVID-19 pandemic, the pressures on Fano have intensified. Done. Back at Mana College, social worker Jan Love says when the school was closed, many of their students were experiencing anxiety not seen before. This is their safe place. This is where they come to be looked after and cared for and for kids who were then stuck at home 24-7 with parents and other family members, with mental health issues, with drug and alcohol issues, with offending issues, and the poverty um, was huge. Mana was the first school to receive a kurakai freezer. We got this email saying, do you want a, a freezer with food in it? I was like, yes. While the college now receives the government's free lunch program, Jan says being able to take kurakai meals home is making a huge difference to whānau. We have a lot of young people and their families in emergency accommodation, and so the cooking facilities in emergency accommodation is not great. What does it mean to have a full puku? Oh, it means so much, and it, do, it makes such a big difference. What family doesn't love to be able to have a real nice hot cooked meal, sit down together and be a family? The demand's unfortunately huge, like that's, that's a sad thing, um, but also um, the support to help Kurakai through the volunteer base is huge too, so it's helping us grow. Four and a half thousand meals have been donated so far, a massive achievement that wouldn't be possible without home chefs like Lily George. When I read the kaupapa, I just thought, yeah, that's me. So I'm totally committed to it now. It's yeah. a beautiful thing that yeah. you're doing. Yeah, do you know, I, um, I get real satisfaction out of doing it and as long as I'm able to, I will continue to, to support this kaupapa. 30 or 40 people cook regularly. They're not the same people always. We do have a couple that cook every week, but anyone, even if it's a one-off, which is so appreciative. I don't do chilli beef very much, yep. but I thought I'd give it a good go. And, oh, cool. And, yep. It's such a grassroots kind of concept, and I think that's why we're getting lots of support from volunteers, because it's so easy for them to help. There's no pressure, there's no schedule, there's no expectation of how many meals they need to cook on what dates. It's just when you can, you can. So I've got all the chilli beef. All those involved feel fortunate to be part of a kaupapa that's filling a need. Thank you. Great stuff. Seeing the appreciation, not just from the staff, but from the rangatahi when you turn up. And it's nice, but I, I feel like I should, I should be thinking them, you know, they're actually going to be our future. If we can keep them in school, get them going to university, amazing. Karawe, Narawane Pereira, Tera Purongo. Ko hikine te hui e hoa maa, no horo mai i te aio o Matariki.
The Hui is made with support from New Zealand On Air.